The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 174, for Monday, October 27th, 2008. Greetings, folks, and welcome. I'm Dave Hamilton, here with John Braun, with the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good, Dave. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So it is Monday again, and we have uh, a whole other show put together here. You uh, you went to a, a photo expo this weekend, but you're not ready to talk about that. Is that right, John? Um, not yet. Just okay. a, a minor gripe. Can I rant this early? <laughs> Go for no. it. So it's Photo Plus, and apparently the show has been going on for a long time. Um, no, I decided to pop in. I, I actually got a, a, a I, I haven't been to the show before, but it's, I would say, definitely for photo professionals. I'm, if anything, an amateur, you know, and more into single, you know, handheld cameras. And uh, this show is, is for people that go beyond that. Though there were some companies, and uh, I'm compiling notes, that had software, a lot of it that ran on the Mac, that would do a lot of pretty interesting, you know, touch up and, and, and fix up work for pictures that otherwise would not be very pleasant to look at. So, um, so you know, I'll scrape that together. But the one thing that got me is, so I get there and I'm like, yeah, hi, how's it going? You know, can I, can I have my badge? And, you know, I try to get access in the Javits Center and it's like, you know, well, you know, pony up some money. And I'm like, well, you know, I go to the desk and I'm like, so how do I get on the network to do, you know, some coverage if I wanted to? And they're like, oh, well, you got to pay. And I'm like, huh. So minor gripe. Um, most shows that we go to, Dave, they, they at least make some accommodation to to get people who may report what's happening to sure. be able to do that without having to, you know, <laughs> fork over even more dough. I mean, you know, it wasn't a big deal. You know, I had to pay to take the train out there and stuff. Sure. But still, I mean, make yeah. accommodations. They, they did, in their defense, have a lone PC in the area where people could log in. And, I, and I wonder why things, they do but, that, though. Many trade shows do. In fact, I've, I don't think I've ever been to a trade show where the Wi-Fi for the show hasn't just been free or, you know, provided by the, the, the show management. I, I wonder if they do it to limit the number of devices that are connected to the Wi-Fi and therefore limit the uh, any bandwidth issues that they might have by, you know, errant devices or, or what have I, you know, you want you wonder if if, if that's not a uh, an artificial means of controlling the, the bandwidth that's going to be used. Uh, I, I think as, it's and as controlling pi- the amount of revenue collected. That's, for what, that's what Pete just said. Such great Pete minds think alike. <laughs> yeah. Pete called it revenue <laughs> enhancement. And that's pilot Pete, folks. Say hi, Pete. Hi, guys <laughs> and ladies. Well, Actually, one of my um, uh, one of our Twitter colleagues did suggest that you and I, Dave, could set up a rogue, you know, Wi-Fi access point and, uh, you know, charge accordingly until they toss us out. <laughs> um, See, so yeah, I don't know what's up with that. It was just, you know, I don't yet at this point, you know, since my cell phone doesn't do the uh, EVDO access that it, it did in the past, I'm kind of stuck uh, for means of access right now. Wi-Fi is pretty much it for me. And I've never really, really had a problem. Maybe right, I should have brought right. the uh you know, Wi-Fi. And I mean, I saw plenty of access points and, and actually the other weird side effect, um, you know, our friends from uh, iFi were there. That okay. The card, my oh, camera. And yeah. I mentioned a problem and this is just something that, that is, you know, uh, and then we'll move on to the show. But I think a neat observation about Wi-Fi geocoding is a lot of times access points get moved around. Mm. 
And so every now and then I take a picture and I, you know, do the upload operation afterwards when it captures the coordinates uh, from uh, Skyhook, I think is the group. Right. And um, every now and then I was, it was saying I was in Chicago or San Francisco or, and this was, you know, there were a, a couple hundred vendors and I'm sure a lot of them had Wi-Fi and I'm oh, sure yeah. some of these got registered and I, I talked to the iFi guy and he was like, yeah, you know, that's just kind of how they work and it's kind of self-healing if they see something bopping around from coast to coast, of course, they will eventually purge it. So it's, you know, it's, better than nothing it's not as good as gps and i don't think they advertise it to be as such but just huh you know sometimes it's funny some of the pictures i uploaded i'm like i wasn't there right yeah that's interesting. <laughs> at least i don't recall being there yeah so um anyways but good show uh but definitely for the photo professional i saw the the makers of lenses you know like the ones that makes the the lens of my camera and uh, all sort of you know mid to high end uh, you know a lot of lighting and portable batteries and stuff like that so definitely for photo professionals um so cool. it was on the periphery of um what is you know interesting map people or or, or myself sure. but um, sure but i think i'll check it out again and, and again i'll sift through the stuff and i think there are a few nuggets for uh, mac people awesome cool all right let's uh let's get into the show we've got we got one question that that will probably take up uh that that could be a show in and of itself. Yes. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this. Uh, it won't take up the entire show, I don't think. But uh, but we'll see what happens, and then we'll get on to some others. So Bethany uh, wrote in, and you know, I, I was prepped for everything except I don't have Bethany's question in front of me. So you're you're getting to hear me vamp again here, John, while I move everything around. Oh, Bethany okay. writes. There so I go. just bought my first MacBook last Friday, and it's scheduled to arrive Thursday. I've owned a Mac before, but it was an eMac that I bought in 2002. Uh, that was my first computer, and I made a lot of mistakes with maintenance and not knowing how to properly take care of it and get the most use out of it. Uh, if it hadn't been for a friend who is an avid Mac user coming to my eMac's rescue, it would have died a long time ago. Because of his intervention, the eMac remained functional until last week when it went fizz, fizz, pop, bang, and the monitor went black. <laughs> I've learned a lot more about computers over the years and I'm determined to be to better to be better with my new baby. I've been doing some research about how to set up my MacBook when I first get it, and I've run across some things that I don't entirely understand or know what is the best solution. These would include battery calibration, how to do it and why, backup solutions, which ones are the best? My friend recommended Drobo because of its simplicity and expandability. Swapping out the internal hard drive, any suggestions on brand and specifications, 5400 versus 7200. And at last, definitely not least, maintenance. What's the very best way to keep my computer running at its optimum, i.e. best practices software? Thanks in advance for your device. And on a side note, do you have any tips for getting my monitor working again? Okay, uh, so we'll handle that last one at the end. So uh, let, let's talk about this from, from the top. So she's getting a new machine here, John. Uh, obviously comfortable with the Mac, but, uh, but really in general, I think all this stuff would apply to, to just about anyone, uh, except maybe the first one, which only applies to people with laptops. So, uh, go ahead, John, with the, with the battery calibration, why to do it? And then of course, how? Why? I'm glad you asked that question. And, and in a nutshell, the reason you want to do that, there's a little chip in the battery, um, that does a lot of things, but it also communicates to the computer or the computer, as you've noticed, uh, will tell you there's this much capacity and this much time left. The thing is, the battery, unless you exercise it, which is really where calibration is doing, it, it may not totally accurately report 
uh, quite the right capacity. And th- this I've seen a lot of times where some people will say it reports 99% full or stuff like that, where it's, it's just not quite right. So Apple actually recommends this. We'll link to an article from the support database. But here's what they suggest you do on occasion, maybe every... Um, uh, I'll find it later. I don't know if it was like six months or three months or something like that. Basically, what you want to do uh, to calibrate your batteries is first plug in the power, charge all the way up until the light is green on the adapter, which is most of them, says the battery is fully charged. Then disconnect and continue using the computer until you will at some point get a warning saying, hey, I'm running out of power. You better plug me into the wall or I'm going to go to sleep. Don't plug it into the wall. This is part of the calibration. And what will happen eventually, the Mac will not lose everything. It'll shut down and go into a sleep mode. Then, and here's the important part, the third step to complete the calibration is plug in the adapter, operate as normally, and wait until the battery is fully charged again. Which What, what this has done is brought it to maximum, minimum, maximum. And the values... Um, and this could avoid some problems like we've heard in the past sometimes, Dave, people, though, though sometimes it's for another reason, but the computer will shut down prematurely when it shouldn't. I think in some cases that's due to the battery not being calibrated properly and the machine just makes a bad guess and there's not enough juice and it, you know, does a, you know, <laughs> Hail Mary. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, so I think this is something, you know, it's kind of annoying that you have to do it, that Apple does tell you about it. I don't know if they explicitly point out in the manuals, but... We again will link to the article where they do tell you why you should do this and you should do it um, regularly to to make sure everything is accurate from the computer's point of view of what it thinks the battery is about. Okay, so I'll add. Thank you for that, by the way. That was fantastic. Uh, I'll add a couple of things to this. I'm not sure what Apple recommends. You said either three, maybe six months. I actually I recommend doing it every month. And here's why. Six months is too long. If you happen to be the type of person who leaves your battery on charge most of the time and just kind of bounces around with it, letting it go six months without a deep, uh, without, you know, going all the way through all the, the, the cycles and coming back up, it's too late. You've probably ruined the battery at, at this point. Uh, so I recommend doing it every month. And then that way, if you only get to do it every two months, you're still okay. So forget that second part of what I said. And only remember you must do it every month. And then that way, Uh, Even if you forget, you're okay. Um, As far as the symptom of a battery that needs this, you mentioned if the machine shuts down, sometimes that's uh, shuts down too early. Rather, sometimes that's a a sign that the uh, that the computer or the battery needs a a refresh or a, a calibration. That's true only if the computer is warning you that it needs to shut down early. So if you've only been running for, say, 20 minutes or 30 minutes, and then it comes up and says, you know, you've got 10 percent of your power left, uh, get, you know, either charge or, you know, get out of here. That is indicative of the circuitry on the battery, thinking that the battery's capacity is much less than it is. The other symptom uh, that's similar to this, but quite different, is when you're humming along just fine and you're at the 30 minute mark or the 45 minute mark. And suddenly your computer just shuts off. No warning at all. Absolutely nothing. Bam. It's off. Not in hibernation to completely off. That's not the circuitry in the battery. That's the cells in the battery themselves. Uh, and typically, and we've seen this a lot with the MacBook Pros, the cells go bad. And oftentimes, even out of warranty, Apple will replace the batteries for this, especially if you go to a genius and, you know, you kind of plead your case to them. 
Um, but that should not happen. If the computer is warning you that it's going to shut down, then that means the circuitry on the battery for whatever reason. And it may be because the battery itself is out of juice because the cells do the capacity of the cells does shrink over time. Uh, but if it's warning you, then at least the, the circuitry is, is doing something. It might need a calibration or it, it also might need to be replaced. But I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. So, yep. And to wrap up um, the article I have in front of me, which is updated, and I'm impressed, Apple, October 11th, 2008. We that's like that. pretty recent. So that's good. Somebody's paying attention. But it says, with all iBooks and PowerBook G4 computers, except the aluminum PowerBook G4, you should perform this procedure when you first use a computer in every few months. So okay. it sounds like for most computers, and, and they, you know, they, they have a statement before that. So for most computers, do the calibration once at least for mod- modern machines, and you're cool. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving along, her uh, her next question, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, her next question was backup solutions. So, I, you know, she asked about the Drobo. I, I think there, there's two pieces to, to the backup solution. <laughs> so there's hardware, and then there's software. Um, and as far as hardware... I would I would suggest using a hard drive of some sort to uh, to back up to. Certainly, you can back up to CDs or DVDs and and burn and you can get rewritable CDs or DVDs. But even though they hold a lot, they really don't hold much. Uh, and so if you're trying to get a whole back a backup of your full drive, doing it to CDs or even dual layer DVDs at what, almost nine gigs, eight, eight plus gigs. It's still not very much. So I would highly recommend a hard drive. As far as hard drives go, the Drobo really is kind of a a, a class of, of its own because you, you get that almost unlimited expandability um, yep. and raid back. And, I saw them. Oh, they're, yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, they were great. at the show. And I guess the state of the art now is I, I believe one and a half terabyte drives are coming out. Oh, well, because I asked them, what, what's, what's the, you know, what, what's the juice? What's the most juice I can get? And I guess, you know, one drive is for error correction. So I guess theoretically at this point in time, you can get, so that'd be four and a half terabytes of storage yeah. in, in a Drobo. Yeah. And, so and they say that you can get up to what? 32 terabytes. Um, in, 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 in theory, in the future, the, the, the mechanism will support up to 32 oh. terabytes when we have drives okay. that will do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as far as that goes, I would do a, a Drobo. If you don't want to go that route with the Drobo, certainly an external USB uh, hard drive would, you know, of, of any kind would work. You're, you're on a MacBook, so you can't do Firewire, but you can do USB and that it's a second best solution. But uh, but for you, it's it's first in line. I think we're in lockstep on on that, right, John? As far as backing up, to so so far. Okay, now let's let's talk about <laughs> software because now she's getting a computer. Uh, it's it's brand new. It's going to be running some flavor of ten point five, and of course, ten point five is Leopard, and one of the most heralded features in Leopard is Time Machine. Yes. Now, it is. Uh, you you uh, how how do you feel about Time Machine, John? <laughs> Can I just read the the show notes, the comments? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so basically Dave summed it up, and I think you did a very good job here. <laughs> JFB, I hate Time Machine, <laughs> another corrupted sparse image. DLH, I recommend Time Machine. It is the love. So you can already see what's coming here. But anyways, so <laughs> as some of you may know, I just had another catastrophe. This is the second one that I've had with Time Machine and Time Capsule, only with 
my MacBook and the time capsule. My G5, which has an internal one terabyte drive that I use for the time machine, I'm totally thrilled with. It's totally 100% reliable. I'm so happy with it. But uh, again, I had the second situation here where the symptom is I try to mount the image. Time machine is spinning, spinning. The first sign I know something is weird is it doesn't know the last backup or the last uh, the last backup date. It doesn't show up in the control panel. To me, that indicates, okay, something's screwed up. And it is. So it cannot mount the sparse image. The, the disk is there, and I can open it. I can open the package. I can see the bands. The image is just corrupt. And, and I, I sent to you, Dave, a little snapshot of some of the uh, error messages, and it, it sounds pretty grim. So... I it looks a, grim. Uh, I have a negative experience. When it works, it is awesome. And and I, I've had situations where like I, I had an email disaster where I you know recovered it earlier. Eudora email file and everything was great. But but this is the second time, and I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Other than I suspect it's network based, and if you shut the machine down unexpectedly, which sometimes I do, I'm sorry. You know, I'll sleep the machine when it may be running a time machine backup. Should I, I not do that? I think that is exactly your problem. Now, I agree that you should be able to do that. Um, I, and, and to be fair, so I've got, hang on, let me count this. One, two, three, four, five machines backing up to yes. one one terabyte time capsule and have had no problems with it other than having to replace the time capsule because one of the network ports blew out. And even that, as I mentioned here, was a very smooth, smooth process. That said, I typically don't sleep my machines in the manually sleep my machines in the middle of a backup. I do occasionally. I have noticed that I've chosen to log out of a machine or reboot a machine that's in the midst of a time machine backup. And my feeling on it is the same as yours. Hey, I'm telling the OS to restart or in your case, you're telling the OS to sleep. So, By golly, it should be smart enough to go ahead and wrap up very quickly what it's doing and then complete the sleep or restart operation. Um, totally agree. So I just like there's issues with AirDisc, right? With Time Machine, right? right. That's the uh, problem there. I, I yeah. suspect there are lingering and, and I may be stressing the design intent of the system, which is my portable is, you know, my, you know, except for the podcast and, and some other types of work, my music library, the, the portable is what I use. Sometimes I'll, you know, be surfing uh, before I go to sleep and I'll just close the cover and put it to sleep. And I don't really look to see if it's backing up and I don't think you should have to. But I think that's, yeah, it, it gets confused that, that something doesn't get written out or read or whatever. And, and the image is corrupt. Bam. I, I think it, that's it. It stands to reason that that's what would cause those sorts of issues, but it shouldn't. Now, you also posited that perhaps the difference is the time capsule and versus the internal drive in in your g5 Let, let's talk a little bit about time machine in it in and of itself mm -hmm. when storing to a time capsule or any drive on the network time machine creates what's called a sparse image or a sparse bundle for each computer that it's backing up now inside that bundle will be every disk on that computer that's been backed up and then, of course, all of the history of each of those disks when it's backing up to and you can move those sparse bundles. I am I, I am living proof that this works. Well, I'm, I'm not. But my time capsule is I don't have any sparse bundles on me personally, but my my time capsule has plenty of them. You can move those sparse bundles from one time capsule to another or one backup medium to another. And they work just fine. 
internally though, and, and you can confirm that this is true because I haven't done this, but if you have a drive connected directly to your computer, either an internal drive or a firewire yes. or USB drive drive connected, it does not do a sparse bundle. It simply creates a folder called backups.backupdb on the drive. Is that correct, John? Yes, which is when I was at a point where you saw some of the nasty error messages I got. When it finally did figure out, oh, I think this sparse bundle is something else, it did mount a folder called backups.backupcb, as you pointed out. Okay, but, but just, was, to be, just to be clear, on the internal drive, on, yes, in your, on your G5... There is no sparse image. There is it's no sparse image, that, okay. It's just it. that folder, as you stated. I say I see it right in front of me, and then underneath it, it has the name of the uh, Power right. Mac. Right. So, now, they should change correct. that. I, I think they should make the sparse bundle... No matter what, so that as you move okay. a drive around, the backups are consistent because it does work differently, you know, depending on how you're doing it. Of course, it's much faster to access without the sparse bundle because you don't have to mount the image each time. And I'm sure that's why they do it with a, a drive that's directly connected. But I think it's a really bad idea um, as far as portability goes. But that that's that's my soapbox for this. So. You got anything else? John? Okay. Okay. No, I I kind of ranted. I I All right, so I would say if you back up, I would not recommend wireless time capsule time machine as your sole method of backup. That's my warning and I stick to it. I I would okay, uh, and that that's a that's a based on your experience, that is a valid piece of advice. Based on my experience, I think the time the time machine and and the time capsule are about the best thing since sliced bread. That mm. being said, I do. I, I rely on that as my primary backup, but I do a super duper backup that clones my hard drive every night to another disc. Now, the reason I do that is so that I have a bootable backup in place at all times that is at worst one day old. That way, when, not if, when my hard drive fails, in the middle of the day, in the middle of an important project, within two minutes, I'm just back up and running. Same computer, same disk image uh, booted from another. It's not a disk image. It's actually a clone onto another partition. So I can boot directly from this partition on a FireWire drive. And uh, I can boot any of my Macs in the in the house, uh, basically, or in the office, rather, with it. So, so uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I, I really do think your... And I know you're not alone, John. I, I know there are plenty of other people that have reported issues with uh, with time capsule and corruption, but I don't think it's critical mass. I do think for the masses, time machine is good. It's getting better each, you know, each time they, mm -hmm. they update it, it's getting more stable. I, I do think given all of the other options out there, I think for most people, time machine probably is if you have to rely on one thing and one thing alone, I think time machine can be it. I concur. But you just disagreed. How can you concur? Well, you convinced me. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll see that. <laughs> so what was the next point here? Uh, swapping out uh, hard drives? Swapping out. Yeah. Speaking of hard drives. So, yeah. Be Bethany asks, uh, okay, I've got this brand new machine. Uh, should I swap out the drive to make it faster? My, my first advice is it's a brand new machine. No. Leave it <laughs> Don't alone. Don't, Don't touch, touch it. This. Yeah. It's going to be fine for a little while. It's probably going to be fine for a long while. I'd take your money and spend it on RAM. You said that it's only got one gig of yes. RAM. I would bump that up. I, I'm not 
up to okay so the new macbooks this pilot pete says can go up to four gigs if that in fact is the case which i'm going to assume it is um then go up to four gigs of ram you know check out the the two places that we found great mac ram prices on are uh crucial and probably probably even better than that is otherworld computing at MacSales.com. um John, I know you and I both ordered our MacBook Pro RAM from from Mac Sales, and they'll actually even buy back your old Apple RAM from you. So, nice. yeah, it it you know I think less than a hundred bucks, significantly less than a hundred bucks, and and we bumped our machines up to four gigs. So, um, highly recommend doing that. So I would do that. But if you want to swap out the drive, John, if so, so what I suggest. Just to avoid headaches. I mean, yes, there are standards for hard drives, you know, SATA and all that fun stuff. I would fire up, um, you know, go to the Apple menu about this Mac, more info, brings up the system profiler. I'd hit the, uh, what are we looking at? SATA, serial ATA, um, or depending on what type of hard drive, uh, that that's the current technology. And you will see a model number. So what you want to do is hit, um, who the heck knows, Amazon, Buy.com, uh, lots of people. Newegg? Um, New egg. Yeah, definitely. I'm just doing it off the top of my head or, or just Google or, or frugal is their shopping site. And just just look for that model number or subset of it uh, just to avoid headaches after a while, like maybe a year. Like I did this with my Dell. I, I got my Dell. I think I got it with a 80 gig drive. Two years later, I got it with a, uh, you know, 160. So um, same thing with Macs. You know, they, they use off the shelf for the most part. Well, they do, you know, off the shelf yeah, hard drives, no proprietary interfaces. So um, just wait maybe a year or two. And then I, you know, examine where the hard drive landscape is. And if it keeps going like it is, you may be able to get twice as much space for about the same price as you paid for the other hard drive or less, yeah. probably less. So um, uh, otherwise, just, you know, then it gets a little you know weird because then there are cache sizes and RPMs and stuff like that. So to avoid headache and get you know, about the same performance, stay within the same family. But if you want to do your research um, and look up other brands, just make sure, you know, everything is at least comparable or better. Uh, And I could take a lot of work. I think what we found is to answer her question, 5,400 versus 7,200 RPM. I'm pretty sure. And we've gone through this in previous shows that our, our findings and and such were that, you know, for 90% of the people out there, the difference between 50, the difference in speed uh, in terms of getting data off the drive between 5,400 and 7,200 RPM isn't, isn't much if at all noticeable. So I, I would go with the well, 5,400. Yeah. Well, when you get down guy. to it, the RPM is a component of speed measurement, but the, and this is where I'm, I'm saying it may take you a lot of time. If you really, really want to get the best, best, performance ever, you'll have to find a spec that reports the, I believe, the platter to interface drive speed, because that's the real speed you're talking here. Right. The RPM is part of it. The cache is part of it. The um, number of heads, the number of platters is all part of the speed measurement. But what you really want to get is that figure. And a lot of times they may not report that. It's not the interface speed. If it's a whatever slash 100, that's the speed of the bus, but not the drive. So. Right. You may have to dig uh, most of the bigger vendors. You can go to their site, and if you know where to look, you can get the data sheet. So that'd be my recommendation. Or go to a, you know, there are a few sites we'll we'll dig around. Is it Dave's Hardware? Tom's Hardware. Tom's, I'm sorry. I knew it was a common name. Yeah, I should (laughs) go register davesHardware.com. You should. (laughs) In case I I need something (laughs) to do later in life. 
I'm sorry. So Tom's Hardware, you've been there. I've been there, not recently, obviously. But um, <laughs> he'll do benchmarks on a lot of things and you know give you the 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 figures that you can use to make a you know if you want to squeak that performance out of there. But yeah, like Dave said, uh, get the RAM. Get the RAM. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so maintenance. We talk about this a lot, and I love to talk about maintenance. So the first thing you should do is go download Applejack and install it on your machine. That's the rainy day solution for me, right? And this, this, this little section here is going to be a very condensed version of the talk that I'll give at Macworld on Thursday morning, January no 11th at uh, 11.45 a.m. or something like that. I forget what time it is, but, uh, oh. but I'll, I'll do my running your Mac lean, clean, and mean session. So if you're coming to Macworld, uh, that if, even if you're not coming, that's a good reason to come. <laughs> anyway, uh, install Applejack. That will get you... Something on there that when you have to boot in single user mode because you can't boot your machine all the way up into regular user mode, uh, then you've got some additional help with the utilities. It actually doesn't install anything other than a nicer front end for a lot of the stuff you need to do with the command line. So go ahead and install Applejack now. Also install, I know we talk about Onyx. Uh, and Cocktail being very similar, and the only difference is price. Well, the new version of Cocktail, I just read, it came out last week. It now will search for and either fix or delete corrupted preference files. That's a pretty huge thing. So, it, you know, that, that may, may really kind of be the tipping point there to make Cocktail worth, worth the price of admission. I think it's, it's either 15 or 30 bucks. And, and, you know, I, 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 I would head down that path. So, uh, Either one of those, if, if you can't justify the cost, then certainly Onyx, it's available for free and it will let you do all the cache cleaning, running maintenance scripts, which is important on a laptop. They're supposed to run at specific times of the day. And if your computer's asleep, then they're supposed to run later. You know, Launch D is supposed to take care of that. It sometimes does. It sometimes doesn't. So once a month going through. And running, force running all those maintenance scripts on a computer that sleeps a lot is a good thing just yep. to make sure they're getting done uh, and so, cleaning uh, caches and all that stuff. So, so th- those are my, those are my three utilities that I'll, I'll you said a there. cocktail, right? I did. Yes. 1495 single okay. user license. There it is. 2995 for the family license up to five people and they have other, other deals. But um, all right. So 15 bucks. I, I definitely do it. Highly recommend it. I, I, I not only would I definitely do it, I did it. I paid for it. Now I paid for it years ago, but uh, but I'm I'm you know a, a happy customer. Cool. Do you have anything to add there in the maintenance section, John? I'm, you know, I'm really not big on the maintenance thing. <laughs> okay. How about I'm po- I'm afraid I'm 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 afraid I'm going to screw things up. Really. I, I trust the OS. No, I'm, wow. I'm somewhat serious. Um, every now and then I'll run a disutility or a disrepair, but uh, yeah, you know, if there's not a reason to muck about in the, the bowels of OS 10, then I, I'd rather not. I, I would, uh, I, I would highly recommend at least running a, uh, and, and this, you probably, it's worth doing in single user mode because it's the only place you can do it and fix things. But running either a disk utility verify disk or an FSCK right from the command line, because I can guarantee you that more than 50 percent of you out there that have not run one of these in the last six months 
will run one and find problems. You aren't seeing the symptoms of those problems yet, but you will. <laughs> and much better to run that and fix them before those symptoms manifest themselves. Uh, and you start losing okay. data or whatever. So, so that, that's what, that's what I would recommend. And I, I see Pete waving his arms over here. So uh, what, what's uh, he's doing the wave? I want, yeah, I wanted to ask you a question, John. You said you trust the OS yes. and you only run it occasionally. So you do wait for symptoms before you run. No, just when it when you're bored. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, I'll run this utility. Sometimes due to something weird happening and I'm like, is there a reason for it? But sometimes just Yeah, so no okay. regular schedule at all, really. Okay. All right. Cool. Now all right. do we want this last thing or Yeah, yeah, we should talk about this. Yeah. So uh oh. the last thing Bethany mentioned was that her monitor in the EMAC blue now. It's important to remember what the EMAC is. It's like the old IMAX, right? It's all in one. The, the computer tube. is inside the monitor, but it is a tube yes. uh, monitor. It's not oh a flat my. screen. It's yeah. not an LCD. So uh, it's possible that the tube in the monitor has blown and, and yet the computer works fine. The, the test would be to turn it on and see if you hear the startup chime and hear the hard drive startup. And if it sounds like everything's working except no image on the screen, if that's the case, then I would agree with your assessment, Bethany. You have a blown monitor. On the other hand, if none of that happens, John. Oh, I don't know. I, uh, it's a tube. I mean, uh, did I hear? I thought there was mention of pop, pop, fizz, fizz or, uh, you know, so, some other <laughs> terrible sound. Um if you're talking that and the, a power supply or something blue, then uh, that's just right. Not, yeah, I, I doubt uh, you could probably still find people that can fix TVs and other like high voltage electronics and stuff well, but, like but that. Here, but here's the thing. If if she's not hearing the chime, then it's probably not the tube. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Right. Right. It's got it's probably the power supply or and this might be a lot worse. The motherboard. All right. Actually, you know, all right. Power supply. Now I do. Now that model. Yeah, I don't think it's a user serviceable thing. So, okay. So the power supply could have blown, not the right. uh, monitor electronics. Though they're both. So yeah, fifty-fifty chance. I think so. Yeah, yeah. But but that'll the power tell supply you, right? blue. They can probably replace that. But you know, for for what I think it may cost to to fix that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, you got to look at what the value of the machine is. I, the EMAC I th- is. Uh, I mean, yeah. Go on. No, I think I think replacing it with the with the MacBook is the right move. Um, but you know, you, it's hard to say, right? I mean, it, it would be nice to have a second computer working. Uh, if you can get a new power supply from somebody like Shreve Systems or or you know uh, Tech Restore, or I don't know where she's located, but you know maybe mm. TechServe. I know in New York does a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, it might be yep. worth it. It's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. All right, are, are we done with Bethany here? I think we've. I think. We've oh, done we're <laughs> we're finished. Okay, good, good. Thank you, Bethany, for that question because that uh, it opened up a whole realm of possibilities, and I hope. Uh, I hope all of you got something out of that because, you know, we try to. Uh, it was quite a journey. And we try. Yeah, we try to incorporate a lot when we when we go through this stuff. Our sponsor for this show is Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. Tonight we're going to talk about their A2 desktop speakers. Now, these are a uh, 
two speaker system so you can separate them out and get really nice stereo separation. And then there's two speakers inside each cabinet. The cabinets are actually wood. Uh, They either come in a polished black or a polished white. And it's got kind of a lacquer over it, but it is wood. And the sound on these things is fantastic. And I say that because I've got some over at the house connected to the iMac. They are the low end on these things is, is amazing. Now it's because of, some acoustic and electrical design, but they don't use any digital signal processing or anything in that. There's no fake bass boost circuits. Um, they, they simply it, because of the wood, it, it, it's actually a very tight material and it, it stays very stiff at higher volume levels. And that allows the, the with the sealed cabinet, it allows the, the right amount of bass to kind of come out the front of the, uh, the, the speakers and, and out the port. And it, the sound on these things is is fantastic. Perfect for smaller rooms or for your or for your desk. Um, it's got the same little tweeters that are in their higher end A fives and uh, and the the woofer speakers are actually made out of Kevlar, so they're they're uh, they're built to withstand uh, loud volumes, and I can attest to that. They will offer you a free audition. Now these speakers cost one hundred ninety nine dollars. Uh, from AudioEngineUSA.com. That comes with free shipping, and they are in stock. I checked it today. Uh, Free audition. And what that means is you buy the speakers, get them home, unpack them, try them out. If you like them, you keep them. If you don't, within 30 days, you send them back, and they'll give you your money back for the price of the speakers. And with free shipping... I think I, you know, I'm not sure if they'll charge you for uh, for the the shipping or, or not, but uh, you know, it's a negligible cost there. But uh, but the free audition is there. So AudioEngineUSA.com. These are the A2 desktop speakers in either black or white. All right, uh, how much time do we have left here, John? We have oh, we got we got some time. So let's uh, let's go on to Brian here. Brian had a very interesting question. Brian says, I'm sure my question is way outdated. I beg to disagree. But can you point me to an episode of your podcast where you may have talked about the advantages of buying an airport extreme rather than a D-Link Belkin Linksys router? I'm about to change from cable internet to DSL, and I thought I would go wireless for more convenience. My recent research shows the airport at $179 US and several of the other brands at half the price. Is there an advantage to spending twice the money for the airport extreme. Okay. Uh, and he, he goes on to say that he has a, an EMAC, which will need a wireless adapter. That he's hap- happily going to buy and a Dell laptop, which has a built in wireless and modem that he'll also use uh, on, on this router. But that doesn't, that doesn't matter. These routers will work with, with both. Uh, so you definitely want to get an N router. Uh, there's no reason these days not to. So let's talk, talk about this a little bit, John, right? So the, to me, the pros here are that with the Apple one, A, it's Apple, right? So it's Apple supported. <laughs> well, you've got, and that's, you know, for geeks like you and me, it's not, it's, it's certainly important, but we're fairly comfortable dealing with the unknown in a router that we have never used before. We understand enough of the basics of networking and that sort of thing to sniff our way through and figure out what one setting means versus another Whereas the Apple router, it comes with the airport software, which is you know built in on your Mac. You can configure the router, very straightforward, and you've got Apple support there uh, to to deal with any issues that you might have. So that's uh, 
you know, that's a big deal, I, I think. Um, and then the second, which is a hardware benefit to the Apple routers, is it does have that USB port on it. So you can hang either a printer or a hard drive or a hub with a printer and a hard drive, if you like, and network those devices. So so that actually does, if you're going to do that, that makes it worth the price because you're going to pay that money or more to do a, a wireless, you know, a, a network bridge on your printer. Uh, so that that's kind of my 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 piece of that. Uh, John, what do you what do you think? I totally agree with you. No, I don't. Okay, good. <laughs> well, no, I'll, I'll point out another uh, facet to this question, though. Like a, a while ago, I, I wrote up, and it actually still gets a lot of hits. As I, I wrote up a Monday's Mac gadget on the WRT fifty four G, which apparently is still being sold in some wow. places, but it's a Linksys very basic uh, G, I believe, router. Um, uh, G. Yeah, G. Um, but the thing is, it has no explicit Mac support. But if you know how to connect to a, uh, you know, do a little geekery and know how to connect to it and then know it's a static IP address, it has a web-based interface. You need no software. And it did good at supporting basic functions, but not some of the, um, as I think Dave was hinting at, not some of the things that are somewhat specific to the Mac, like, you know, certain types of sharing and music and, and you know, iTunes and uh, all that stuff. Uh, you may not get that as easily without kind of futzing with it and opening up the, the right ports and stuff like that. So for less money, I would say you get less ease of use, not necessarily less performance, because every now and then, I mean, you know, we've seen the benchmarks. Sometimes Apple things don't always come out on top, but I would say the ease of configuration and a lot of times, I mean, it'll just start up with a wizard. Um, sometimes you have to make an effort to manually uh, configure. Like Time Capsule, I, I opt to configure it manually because I, I know the effect of some settings, but it does have a wizard that'll whisk you right through it. So, um, so yeah, third-party stuff, it may work, but it's just not as nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that you can do with the third-party routers is something John and I have talked about using alternative firmware. Um, I, on my router uh, here, yeah. I run a, a Linksys. I run the model just up from the the WRT54G. I run the 54GS, which has their hmm. speed boost thing in it. I don't know. It's It's not an N router. Um, but you can, you can, with these additional firmware, you have a lot of different features. I, I'm able to run a VPN server on it, uh, other things. Now, again, this is massive geek mode at this point, right? So 99.9% .9 of the people that buy these routers aren't even aware that there's additional firmware, let alone have an actual need to use it. But, but, but it I is think they out there. make them because they know there's that small population. Right. I'm, I'm convinced they did that because they know there's that little hacker community. Absolutely. And there is a huge community out there. We'll, we'll link to a few boards, but for right. these third party firmwares, these guys are nuts and, and, and we love them. Yep. And, and the other thing is, and I, and Pete and I have had a lot of conversations about this, trying to figure it out as he moved from a Linksys router to his airport extreme as his main router is that there's no real stealth mode, meaning to, to get the you can't get the airport extreme to stop responding to pings and that sort of thing. So it does appear out there. Now, it's fairly secure. Really? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, Pete, I... Pete and I went through it. You okay. can turn it off I, in the I firewall I'm... on your Mac, but not on the router okay. itself. OK, I thought I've seen that in a screen, probably not on a wireless screen. Right. 
I have. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, let us. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh, so so that you know that that's one thing to consider. And these other firmwares will, will definitely do that for you. Um, again, it, you know that it, it gets way past what most people need. And the fact that your cable modem uh, or your that your router appears out there, well. You know, the router in and of itself is fairly secure. It's just not hiding out there. Other people can find it more easily. It, it, again, it's just not a huge deal. Um, so I would say if you're comfortable using uh, something beyond the typical Apple stuff and you don't need the USB bridge for a printer or a hard drive, then sure, save yourself some money and go get a, a $60 router from uh from Linksys or Belkin or D-Link or, or any of those. If you need the uh, printer or USB bridge, or you simply want the comfort and convenience of having, having an Apple router, then, then do that because you know, that, that extra, whatever it is, hundred bucks may be well spent. Uh, if, if you compare that to spending a Saturday tearing your hair out where you're trying to figure out, uh, you know, some setting that you messed with on the router and, and you, you wished you didn't. So mm-hmm. that's my, that's my story. Do we have anything to add to that? Or are we moving on to Colin here, John? Colin, Colin, here it is. Take it away, Colin. Hi, John and Dave. This is Colin. I had a question regarding Safari's autofill feature for addresses. Uh, I currently stay in a couple of different places and I'd like to be able to actually edit this. I just don't know where it's stored or, or if it's even possible because I like to, I, because I, since I'm staying in different places, it's kind of annoying that I'm filling in different addresses every time, and it won't it won't pick it up. So, uh, this is where you cut me off. My email address. I'll get you. I got him. I caught it. I caught it. I caught it. <laughs> um, what are we talking about? Oh, I know Safari. what we're talking about. Here you, you we go. Wanna, go ahead. Go. Well, the first cut, where you find this. So, where the... Uh, I have a level of detail. How's that? Okay. Safari, preferences, autofill. There are three boxes here. Using info from my address book card. I think that's where most of the info he's talking about is coming from. Now, I'm not sure exactly which fields and how tightly it maps the info. Okay. So that's one place. There's also two other checkboxes, username and passwords and other forms. But I would say that is probably where that's getting that info. So I would say if he, you know, looked at his address book. Now, that would sound like that wasn't the problem. The pro- He's happy that it does it. It's just he's bopping around. So I guess the, the primitive, you know, caveman approach is uh, switch your, I would assume it goes to the default address book card that you define for yourself. So That's right. But that's not a good solution. But but I'm almost sure, Dave, you, you may have a better one. So I do. Well, that's a, a loaded statement. Because you, you already know the answer. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what I use for this is one password. And I know I talked about it last week and I probably talked about it the week before. Folks, I use this thing probably on average about two dozen times a day. So it's a huge part of what I do. And uh, and, and it's it's shareware. So you got to you got to register it if you're going to use it. And it, it's worth every penny. It's 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 huge. Uh and no, they're not the, the second sponsor of this show. They're just, it's just something I use. Uh, and so in addition to managing your passwords and managing all your credit cards, which 
I'm going to stop here for a second. This is huge. So credit cards. Yeah. So I have my gosh, all my credit cards stored inside one password. Now I have a couple of personal cards and then I have one card for every one of the businesses that actually more than one card for every one of the businesses that I, you know, use for purchases or whatever. So I can't, you know, I, I, it would, it's a real pain to to memorize all these things because they're constantly changing the numbers because the banks are screwing up and giving out the numbers to thieves or whatever <laughs> they do. So I store them in one password. You get to a credit card field. You right click. You say, I want to use this password. You enter in your one password that locks everything in that database. It unlocks it and bam, it populates not only the card type, the card number, the expiration date, the CVV code, your name if you want. You can assign a billing address to it. It goes nuts, right? So then, and now we're getting to answer Colin's question, you can also (laughs) store your addresses in there, and you can have different ones. You can have a work profile, a home profile, a travel profile, a profile for when you're at your aunt's house. So much better. I don't know what Pete's doing over here. I think he's, we've both got bad pens, and Pete's grabbing things and bouncing things around. Sorry. But that's okay. The address thing works just as well as the credit card thing, just as well as the password thing. It is, this is software. I will be devastated if sometime either they decide to stop developing this software or Apple updates the OS in such a way that you can't use it anymore. In fact, I was devastated. They had it working on the iPhone in such a way that it created a whole bunch of bookmarks and using some JavaScript magic, you could go into the bookmark and say, I want to use one password on this and it would float up a window over Safari on the iPhone and it looked beautiful, but they had to take it away because somebody in the Navy figured out that there was a security hole and they thought, you know, he's Mm -hmm. right and we got to stop it. But anyway, I digress. One password will solve Colin's problem. Pete, oh, Pete's raising his hand. He's hey. another dedicated one password. Oh, I user. love it. And there's this other feature. <laughs> if you go to sites that require you to change your password on a regular basis, <sighs> you don't have to go open one password manually and go, oh, I need to change it. Where is it? Find it and all that. As soon as you change your password, it pops up and says, oh, hey, you want me to take care of that for you and remember that in the future? Nice. Nice. Yeah, oh, it is slick. It and is so seamless. Cross it's browser. Through. So, yeah. it, and it syncs with .Mac, right? So, yeah. Uh, you get the trifecta there. So you can, you know, if you use Firefox sometimes or whatever, it, it, no problem. doesn't matter. It's not it's not passwords stored in one browser versus the other. It's this totally system wide thing. So, yeah, it's the way things ought to be. It is. I agree yeah, with that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> am I am I am I done with my uh, my rant here, John? <laughs> I think so. OK, I think so. So, um, yeah, we can go on to. Where are we going here? Oh, wait, where can we go? Yeah, we should share some tips here. Um, now we're we're at about the fifty minute mark. I, I think we're going to push this a little bit longer here because, based on my schedule for next week, I've got to go to New York for oh. ad tech. So I I think we might have to skip next week's show. I no. I, I know we'll we'll see if we can figure something out, John. We'll see if we can figure something out. But you know, just just in case, let's. Uh, Let's let Leslie, we talked about remotes and pairing remotes last week, and Leslie has something to add to this. Hey, John, it's uh, Les over here. Son of a Also known as Leslie X. You know, there are still some audio hiccups. I have fixed, I have worked around most of them. What is it, man? It's a a buffer thing, right? So I've got uh, stuff in audio hijack. Get a bigger buffer, Buddy. And that's what I did, actually. I figured out that if you take the input buffer, Audio Hijack requires the output buffer to be a minimum of double the value of the input buffer. 
I actually doubled the output buffer one past that. And, uh, and it seemed to, we've been, yes, we had a problem here. It's also been 14 days since this machine was rebooted. And, and I was a fool to not reboot it before we started the show. Uh, but, uh, we've do, we've gone, I think five shows with this current configuration with no problem. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to accept my current solution and hopefully Leslie. Hey, John and Dave, it's uh, Les over here, also known as Leslie X317537. Um, I was listening to your podcast and I heard you um, talking about the Apple remote and there was a user that was having a problem with uh, his Apple TV and his uh, MacBook and controlling both at the same time or something. Basically, if you hold down the um, menu and the fast forward on the Apple remote and point it at the device, it should pair it up and with my MacBook, I see a little lock when that happens, and um, I've also paired it up with my universal dock, and that will prevent it from being used from another remote. So I thought that was a useful tip, and um, just thought I'd just share that with you guys. All right, great podcast, and keep up the good work. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Thanks, Leslie. That That's absolutely right. And one thing to add to that, John, is and, – and, and a couple of people pointed this out. In fact, one person pointed it out in the comments of the show notes last week – the remote isn't paired to anything. It is the computer that's paired to the remote. So if you have, let, let's take last week's example, right? Where we had the guy with a MacBook Pro and an Apple TV, and he wanted to pair them off. If right. he only paired the MacBook Pro to one remote, that remote would control both the MacBook Pro and the Apple TV because the Apple TV is unpaired. Oh, what a mess. Yeah, so you definitely got to pair the devices. It's it's more a secure. Think of it as a security feature of your computer, not right. a feature of the remote. And, like and you're much like we off. pointed out. If you don't want people randomly shutting your machine down, right? Exactly. Pair it with a remote so no other remotes can come along and and trick it. Exactly. All right, mm. let, let's have a, let's have this quick discussion. Dave sent in a a comment here. He said. I don't think you guys mentioned that now, last week we were talking about uh, the slow DNS issue and using something like open DNS. And uh, what Dave writes is, I don't think you guys mentioned the, this possibility, but I was listening in the car, so I may have missed it. I found the usual cause of slow DNS is that the first DNS server listed is not responding. So after it times out, the second DNS server listed is queried and then it responds. Either there's a typo in the first DNS server or it's down or your ISP changed or something. For this reason, and I, I think we did sort of address that, but it's important to note that it does go in order. For this reason, Dave says, I also use OpenDS for mine, especially on portables, since you never know what DNS server a DHCP server will give out. So what Dave is talking about here is even though you've got your airport or Ethernet set up to use DHCP, and, and by DHCP, you will get an IP address, a subnet mask, a gateway address or a router address and DNS servers. It will assign right. those every time, or at least it should. That's what the protocol is supposed to do. And it might assign a local domain name or something like that, or local search domains. What you can do in the network system preferences, I almost said control panel, you can assign a DNS server. It will still get DNS servers from the DHCP server. Bear with me here. Lots of uh, Go. letters. That's Okay. But it will use the one that you entered first. So if you enter the open DNS DNS server address into the network preferences 
uh, system preferences pane, anytime you go to a hotel or anything like that, it will use open DNS first. And as Dave pointed out, that bypasses any flakiness or whatever you might find with the uh, with the hotel server. I will add a caveat here, though, John, many times the way when you get to a hotel, you have to register, right? Uh, sometimes, oftentimes they'll charge you somewhere between six and twenty five dollars a day for wireless <laughs> access. Right. But the way they do that is the first time you bring up a Web page, their DNS server grabs and redirects you to their page where you authenticate. So if you aren't using their DNS server, one of two things will happen. And I'm not going to condone the first. I'm simply going to explain it. Uh, Actually, it'll be the second. So the first would be you can't get on because your computer isn't authenticated and you can't get to the page that will authenticate. So it'll send you in a loop. The second, and I don't necessarily condone this. Uh, is that it will completely bypass that authentication requirement because their authentication is stored only in the DNS server, and voila, you've got free access on their network. Again, I simply wow. point I, this out I, for I, informative I, purposes. I just want to reiterate, I certainly would not condone. <laughs> wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Dave. You know, I hadn't really thought about that until I read your email today and started pointing out the, the obvious problems with it and then saw the... Uh, the obvious problem. That's right. And I think hmm. I, I really do think, John, that uh, on that note, we are. Uh, it's time to bring the band in, you know. The band is getting. Oh, you know what? The the band may have. Nope, not today, but this week. Yeah. Snow. Really? We're Snow. getting it. I heard maybe maybe on the coast here huh. in Connecticut. All right. Hey, cool. Let's I get some getting, snow. Chilly chill. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it has. It's been, yeah. It's been night. cold. Well, we've had frost alerts. You have, right? Oh, yeah. It's been it, it's been warm the last couple of days, though, here. Yeah. Unseasonably yeah. warm. Yeah. So. Oh, we had a, oh, we had a little, yeah, you probably had this. We had a windstorm, like a little, oh, yeah. Not a hurricane or something. Yeah. No, I had a couple of big branches come down. Nothing. Yeah. You probably had a couple of trees come down or. Hey, man, don't joke about that. No, I because I know you got lots of trees. I, yeah. I don't have, I have, I have, I could count them. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can't. Okay, so one thing. Uh, an, well, another, that's right. you're tied up. I'm tied up. No, I'm all right. My hands are good. No, uh, I meant next week. Oh yeah, next week. So, on some future show, John and I will, as we usually do share our Macworld tips with you. We'll do sort of a Macworld prep show. We don't like to rehash the same thing we did last year, so we'll add some stuff to it. And one thing that we'd like to add is your tips and comments. So between now and uh, whenever we do that show, which certainly won't be next week, it might be two weeks, I I don't know. Uh, Send in your tips, anything, whatever. whatever. I would say I'd like most... uh, uh so here's what I'd like, a couple of requests. So newbie tips. If, if you have gone to the show for one year or, or if you've the last time you went with the first was the first time, share that because there are probably other people listening. It's the first time going to the show. Sometimes it can get a little overwhelming. You know, do you have to get in line for the keynote at 2 a.m. at 3 a.m.? I mean, it's, it's just so confusing. So it is. Us- know what you went through and also experienced people how, how do you handle the hustle and bustle how do you how do you get into all the cool parties and stuff which uh, i'm sure we'll have a cool party dave yeah cirque de max six will happen this year it will be on nice. wednesday night january 7th i can't really tell you where 
but we will be doing it. And uh, the All-Star Band, we started gearing up for uh, our, our song list today, believe it or not. Um, just How's Bob doing? Bob is coming Bob? this year. Bob Levitis Sweet. will make it. Yeah, in fact, in fact, he's been Bob, practicing. I hear Bob called me this. Well, actually, he hasn't. Uh, he told me he needed to pick up a guitar. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just relaying what I heard. Uh, he called me this morning, and and I pick up the phone, and he says, "Dave, am I coming to MacWorld?" <laughs> and I said, I, r- "Please restate the question." And he said, "Are we having a party? Is the band playing?" I said, "You bet we are." And he says, "Then nice. I guess I'm coming." Because Bob skipped out last year, yeah. So yeah. we'll have Bob back, and uh, and uh, so we got the song list. We started that that process moving today and figuring all that out. So we're looking forward to it. So yeah, send in your tips, and and you're, John's right. We want the tips from the people that aren't necessarily as as seasoned and jaded and all that as John and I are. But but we also are happy to take in the tips from from people of all experience levels because we'll compile them and, and share them, and I think we'll have a lot of fun. We'll also have an interview with Paul Kent, uh, the VP in charge Ooh. of MacWorld Expo, coming up probably the week I'm on vacation. We'll we'll probably do that same thing that we've done every year. Um, so that first-ish week of December, we'll have uh, an interview with Paul here. MacWorld Expo is January 5th through 9th, of course. Michael Johnston from iPhoneAlley.com and the iPhone Alley podcast converts this to AAC for your enhancement. Cashfly, of course, at Cashfly.com provides all of the bandwidth. And if you need bandwidth in a distributed way, I recommend checking them out. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit 9 from Barebone Software, PDF Pen 4 from Smile on My Mac, Notebook 3 from Circus Ponies, and Devin Agent from Devin Technologies all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. So, that's that. I think we're ready to get out of here, right, John? Yep. Yep. Okay. We could go all night, but... Uh, how, how do you... <laughs> speak to us. Oh, yeah, you're right. How did you I miss that it. again? The contact info. Golly. Pete. Pete. <laughs> Pete blew it. I blame Pete. Away with you. You can call us he at 206... 206- 666-GEEK, which is... 4335. Email us to feedback at macgeekgab.com. And Skype? If it entertains you, you can try to Skype us if you can find us. Uh, you know... I, I don't gotta, know. It's, it's Something's whacked with the I gotta ask I don't them know. what's going on with that. I, I, I can't find us. I'll ask them. I'll ask them. So, I, I, I again, or, or record... An audio file, if you're geeky enough, you know how to do that. And email it to us directly. And if you're yeah. in the U.S., and we don't, and we definitely won't do a show on Monday. So if you're in the U.S., please vote next Tuesday. That's all we ask. Just vote, vote. for... Vote for whoever you, whoever you like. Yeah. And we'll leave yeah, it at that. Supposedly it's a democracy, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Should have opened know, with that. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. But I am going to no. remind everyone that there are very likely in all 50 states more than just two candidates on the bill. Please remember that, yes. folks. No, I concur with you. Please remember I, I that. Would, I would personally like to see a... Uh, are you with me on this? A tri-party system, Dave? At least a tri-party system. To, to yeah. at least break the strain. Uh, yeah. I, I think Dave and I can both say neither of us are totally satisfied with the choices, but... I think at least half the people who will vote will vote for the lesser of two evils. And, I'm, and you know what? We, we leave it at that. That's yes. uh, that's it. So there you go. But you please want more, vote. you go to listen to NPR or something like so, that. Yeah, know. there's plenty of places. Or, you know, Adam Curry's new Adam Curry's so. Daily Source Code has turned into 
uh, a total like tinfoil hat wearing. I, I didn't I didn't Sweet. listen for years, and now he's major conspiracy theory. I'm loving it again. And he does no agenda with John C. Dvorak too, which is fantastic. Well, I hope you know the thing is caught. Tinfoil hat. Made up.